What's up, boxing fans? Welcome to episode number 166 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Micah Montero for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. This week, we're going to talk about uh, Alexander Usyk and Carlos Takam. That's been signed. We're going to preview Lomachenko Krola, Jaime Munguia versus Dennis Hogan, and the PBC on Fox Sports 1 card. Let's get ready for it, guys. Uh, get in the chat and let me know if you got any questions. Oh, we got a couple people here already. Awesome. I know it was uh, really slow last weekend, so we don't have a lot to review, but we do have plenty to preview. So uh, Timmy Turner and El Cholo are in the house. Uh, join on, guys. I know we're actually a couple minutes early this week. We're three minutes early, so maybe a few of you guys ain't on board yet. But I might as well get the preliminary preliminaries out of the way. Uh, this is TNC 166 for April 13th. 2019 just want to remind you guys watching live here on youtube make sure you subscribe you may think you're subscribed but sometimes youtube likes to unsubscribe people for whatever reason also click the little bell right next to the subscribe button so you will know instantly anytime we immediately post a video and of course spread the word about the audio podcast that's on itunes spreaker soundcloud spotify uh, we're everywhere so get the word out about that if you guys are interested in an MOB t-shirt, we actually uh, sent a couple off this week. Uh, so, so thank you to those of you who bought a few of them over the weekend. Uh, just email me, MonteroOnBoxing at gmail.com. And of course, if you want to tip the show, please go over to Patreon.com slash MonteroOnBoxing. And uh, anything that you uh, contribute to the show, we're going to put right back into it, guys. That's what we do here. So, okay, uh, some quick news and notes. You see here on the cover of the latest issue of Boxing Monthly Magazine. I love the new design of Boxing Monthly, by the way. It's awesome, man. This is uh, the April issue right here. Uh, we've got Canelo Alvarez and Daniel Jacobs. I'm looking forward to that fight. I think it's kind of flying under the radar. Uh, no one's really talking about it yet. We've got some stuff coming up before that. But, man, that's a big freaking fight. That's two of the top three middleweights in the world. And it's, of course, going to be on the zone. Well, they just had their WBC 30-day <coughs> weigh-in. Canelo came in at 168.2 pounds. Jacobs at 175.4 pounds. So they're both within the limit. I think they both had to be within 176. So that's to be within 10% of the weight class you're going to fight at, which of course is 160 middleweight division. So you do the math, 16 plus 160, 176. So they're both good, but this clearly shows that Jacobs is the bigger guy. And yes, we've seen Canelo against bigger guys like Rocky Fielding, but we haven't seen him against bigger guys like Daniel Jacobs. And that's why I'm really interested in this fight. I think it's going to be a lot more competitive than a lot of you out there think it will be. Uh, but heavyweight action. Oleksandr Usyk officially making his heavyweight debut against Carlos Takam, May 25th, MGM National Harbor in Oxon Hill, Maryland, which is uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. I, you know, a lot of people thought, well, originally it was going to be Usyk and Povetkin, and they thought that was going to go to Chicago. That's what was being discussed. Povetkin didn't want the fight. So I love what Usyk's doing here. Carlos Tekem has been one of the top 10, kind of on the bubble of the top 10 the last few years. He's fought everybody, man. Uh, he just fought Chisora recently. Of course, he fought AJ. Uh, Povetkin, he was knocked out against Povetkin a few years back. Joseph Parker, he's fought other top guys. So he's right around the top 10. Even still, maybe yeah, at least top, definitely top 15, maybe top dozen or so heavyweights in the world. 
So I love that Usyk and his team, they targeted Povetkin, who is still a top 10 heavyweight, and they had to settle with Takam. But uh, I think that this fight at that venue is going to sell well. Uh, we saw Lomachenko fight there, right? We've seen other guys fight there, and that market is starving for boxing, and that area is going to get a couple cards in the coming weeks and months. So I'm glad for that. Tiffany and I are thinking about covering that one for Ring Magazine and Ring TV. We'll let you guys know if we are going to be up there covering that one. There's a ton of ton of you guys that follow us and um, we definitely want to meet. You know what I'm saying? We'll have a beer, we'll chat, whatever. We'll maybe do a meetup or something if we end up covering that one live. But I'm excited for that fight. I want to see how Usyk looks. I, I think that he could easily be 215 or so. Shouldn't be any heavier than that for the first fight, but at some point, man, if he's going to go up against AJ and Wilder, not necessarily Fury. The Fury fight, if he ever fought Tyson Fury, that'd be about skills. But against those guys, he needs a little more mass, especially AJ. He'd have to get up in the mid-220s, but he can't get there yet. I think that you know, 210 to 215, good starting place for him. And um, I think Takim is a great measuring stick. If he dominates him... He's in a discussion already for top five heavyweight, definitely top 10. But depending, I mean, if he mops the floor with the guy, uh, he's up there, right? Just, we already know based upon skill set, he's probably more skilled than any heavyweight out there right now. But um, may, maybe Fury, you know, is up there. But if he could dominate a guy like that who's on the bubble of the top 10, 15 in his first heavyweight fight, that's a huge statement, man. Okay, upcoming fights, Jermall Charlo is fighting Brandon Adams, who won the contender finale last year against Shane Mosley's kid in LA. He's an LA uh, fighter, he's out of LA. That's gonna be in June on Showtime, the same month that we're probably gonna see Gennady Golovkin. They're still bouncing opponents around, but it's probably gonna be Hassam Endam. And I can hear some groans, but let's face it, if Hassam Endam fought Brandon Adams right now, I'd slightly favor Endom. I'm not saying I'd favor him big because of where he's at in this point in his career, but he's a level above Brandon Adams. Uh, yes, he's taken some losses, a lot of losses. Anytime he steps up, I understand that. But look, man, Golovkin's been out. I mean, by the time he gets back in June, he's in his late 30s. Been out for, what, nine months at that point? So it's understandable. You know what I'm saying? And he's fought Jacobs and Canelo twice in the last couple of years, guys. So I think that'd be a reasonable opponent. I do think it is funny, though, that a lot of the people who were criticizing Golovkin when it was rumored by certain media members that he was going to fight Brandon Adams when that wasn't anywhere near signed, uh, there's always fake news with Golovkin for whatever reason, especially from particular corners of the boxing media. But um, there were a lot of people bashing the shit out of Golovkin. And now a lot of those same people now that Adams is going to fight Charlo are saying, oh, good for Adams. You know, he's, he's getting more money. He negotiated his way into more money. And, you know, good, you know, I like this fight for Charlo. Uh, the fight, I do believe Charlo and Adams is going to be in Houston, which makes sense. It's finally time. I think PBC is learning from what's happening with Errol Spence in Dallas. They're like, man, we need to do more of this. Finally, one of the Charlos is going to be fighting in Houston. But there are people out there not necessarily praising this fight, but they're not bashing the shit out of it. Not the way uh, Golovkin was being bashed. There is such a double standard. And if you look at Charlo's middleweight resume, 
it is stir-fried shit. And there are a lot of these same people who are bashing Golovkin and a lot of the Canelo haters. And there's a ton of Canelo haters out there. Irrational Canelo haters. I understand Canelo critics. I'm talking about Canelo haters. That are saying that Canelo and Golovkin are all ducking Charlo. Yet he's fighting Adams. Now, when Golovkin was coming up, when he, when he first came to America and he had to kind of restart his career at like 30... I think early 30s, restart his career. Um, he got busy between 2012 and 2014. I think late 2012 to the end of 2014, there was, there was a period in there of like 25 months. I've talked about this a lot in recent weeks. In 25 months, he fought, I think, eight times. Eight times in two years, okay? He was fighting better opponents than Brandon Adams. I'm not saying he was fighting killers during that time. There was a couple of top 10 guys in there. I want to say Daniel Giel was in there, maybe Martin Murray, guys like that. But most of them were, yeah, they were B-level fighters. I, underst I understand that, but he was busy. He was fighting every three months, and he was being exciting, dominant, knocking guys out, providing value to fans and to networks who were paying next to nothing for those fights. Even a guy like uh, Rubio, Marco Antonio Rubio, right? Uh, am I mixing up that name? Yeah, I think it was Marco Rubio who was a mandatory, I think, for his BC title, or that's how he became the mandatory. I can't remember the specifics, guys. But I remember when he fought Rubio, a lot of people bashed the shit out of that fight. I think that was at StubHub. Rubio's still better than Brandon Adams. So the people that were bashing Golovkin's level of opposition even back then are still being really, really forgiving of the Charlos and their level of opposition. And the first time we saw what this is, you know, I'm talking about Jermall. When Jermall stepped up and fought Tony Harrison, he lost. So I, I do think he'll beat him in the rematch. He's better than Harrison. He had an off night. But I'm just saying, guys, there's a lot of double standards out there. And for whatever reason, Golovkin triggers the shit out of people. I don't know if it's political because his father is Russian and there's a lot of anti-Russian hysteria over the last two years. Ever since a certain person became president, I don't know. But there's something to it. Anyway, okay, some more quick news, and then we'll answer some questions. Um, Kovalev Yard, that has been uh, ordered purse bid by the WBO uh, April 15th. It was originally April 8th, then they pushed it back a week. I don't know why they're doing this on the 15th. They know damn well Sergey Kovalev has a court date on April 19th. So if you're going to have a purse bid, why not push it back two weeks? Why not push it back till after the A-side fighter, the champion fighter, uh, has his court date. So you know if he's even going to be available to fight. It just doesn't make any sense. So wouldn't surprise me if this WBO purse bid gets pushed back once again. But that would make more sense. Push it to April 22nd, which is a few days after Kovalev's court date. So we find out what the hell is going on with him and that woman who is uh, suing him, accusing him of sexual misconduct. We'll find out. Uh, let's see, some quick ratings news. Alexander Gvozdik over Dudu Nungungu, who, by the way, last week I did not know, but because it wasn't widely reported, but apparently he uh, ruptured his Achilles or there was some major injury to his ankle. Now, again, that hasn't been widely reported, but Steve Kim and Mario Lopez talked about it on their podcast, The Three Knockdown Rule. They were, Steve was quick to mention though, and one of you out there who gave me some shit last week, you didn't mention this part of that, um, that it still hasn't been verified, but that's what one of the commission people told Steve, 
I haven't heard anything afterwards. So I still don't know what the exact injury with Nungumbu is. But if he ruptured his Achilles, that's pretty damn substantial. And it makes sense why he couldn't continue. So I didn't mean to unfairly bash the guy last week when I said it looked like he was looking for a way out. But we've seen that so many times. But if he really did have a major injury like that, well, hell, you can't fight on. So anyway, that fight uh, peaked at 832,000 viewers, which isn't a fantastic number, but it was up several hundred thousand from, I think, the peak viewing of Kubrat Pulev fighting uh, his fight against Dinu. So that, I think, that Pulev-Dinu card had the lowest ratings, I think, of this whole top rank on ESPN deal. So uh, at least they had a, a little spike for the Vojdik Ngumbu fight, even though it wasn't a very good fight. Anyway, let's uh, get to some questions here. Let me see. Let me pull up my, my notes. Tiffy will send questions over to me. Um, TNC questions. Okay, punch for pound. What's up? He asks, is Bevel Brown happening this summer or Vojdik Brown or neither? What are the top options for Bevel and Vojdik's next opponents? If Teofimo Kome happens in the summer, who does Loma fight in the summer? Okay. So number one, I don't see Teofimo Lopez and, and Kome, Richard Kome fighting. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that um, Bob Aaron will overpay. He had to overpay for Lomachenko Krola to get it off the zone and keep it on ESPN, but that's another story. Uh, he will pay whatever he has to. He's not going to put Kome in there with his title in there with Lopez. I think Kome and, and Lomachenko are going to fight later this year, and Lomachenko is going to grab that title, although that's going to be a harder fight than people realize for him. Teofimo Lopez is busting at the seams at 135, and I think he'll be at 140 pounds next year. That might be kind of a buzzkill for some of you guys, but I don't see the Lomachenko-Lopez fight happening. I, I, I do not see that happening. I see him going to 140, and I think it would make a lot more sense for top rank to eventually have Teofimo Lopez fighting somebody like um, like Ramirez, you know, uh, someone like him at 140 going for one of those titles. That's an in-house fight, marketable, makes a lot of sense. So for uh, Brown, he has options with Bevel or Vostick, and I really think it's just which way his management wants to go. Um, I, I'm not sure. But I tell you something, that's a tough fight either way. If, if Marcus Brown ends up fighting Dimitri Bivol, of course I favor Bivol, but that's a tough fight. And if he fights Vosik, same thing. I favor Vosik, tough fight. So don't know yet which way that's going to go. Pat Gray asks, in what order do you rank the four current light heavyweight champions? Uh, probably go with Kovalev number one, and then Bivol number two, Vojdik number three, and then who am I forgetting? Who am I forgetting? Shit. Uh, man, Baturbiev probably number four. Rap Life saying hi from Honduras. What's up, man? Thank you so much for tuning in, brother. Rap Life, man, from Honduras. That's what's so cool about what I do on, on this YouTube thing. People watching from around the world, and it's costing you guys nothing. I mean, you have to pay for your internet or whatever, but that's that's just such a cool thing. There's just such a there's just such a great impact through this tool. I love it, man. Just technology is amazing. It's just amazing. Uh, Gonzalo Anaya asks, why isn't Lomachenko a big money fighter yet? Lack of. Well, did you not see this in the comment section? <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm gonna. <laughs> 
He said lack of nig opponents. I'm, I assume that was a typo and you meant big opponents, okay? I'm gonna assume that that wasn't some racial stuff because we don't want none of that shit here. I'm gonna, lack of big opponents is what I think you meant to ask. Uh, well, it's, it's, look, Lomachenko is kind of a victim of his own, it's gonna sound corny, a victim of his own greatness so far. Nobody at 126 pounds wanted him. Uh, the, at the time when he was at 126, Guillermo Rigondeaux was at 122 and they negotiated with Rigondeaux. Rigondeaux priced himself out and he made a bunch of foolish management decisions, okay? And at the time when guys like myself reported about that, I was called a Rigo hater, a Loma dick rider, but, but now we know all that stuff is true and we saw what ended up happening between Loma and Rigo anyway. Nobody at 126 wanted him. None of the pe Featherweight is, is a division that's pretty much owned by PBC, much like welterweight. So Lomachenko, none of those PBC guys wanted to jump across the aisle and work with uh, Bob Arum and vice versa, to be fair. But Bob Arum did reach out to some of them. They wanted no part of Loma. Moved up to 130. It was more of the same. At 135, there was a huge fight there with Mikey Garcia. For whatever idiotic reason, Mikey Garcia wanted to go up two weight divisions and fight Errol Spence. Now, I think part of it was helping out the whole brand and he was hooked up under the table by Uncle Al and things like that happen over there. And it's not only at PBC, it's, it's in every platform, but it seems to happen there more than anywhere else. Where it's like, hey, you fight this guy to help us push this and promote this uh, agenda, this person. Here's your reported purse. Here's what I'm going to give you under the table. I'm going to take care of you on the back end. A guy like Robert Guerrero still getting favors to this day. Uh, Leo Santa Cruz. So, so these things happen. Uh, Mikey Garcia versus Vasily Lomachenko would have been huge. I'm not saying it would have been like a huge, like Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, but it would have been a big name opponent for him, obviously, right? And it definitely would have been a pound for pound type of fight it would have lived up to the hype much more than Lomachenko Rigondeaux did. And that fight's blown up now because of Garcia's idiocy. Look, you know, 2020 hindsight, moving up to fight Spence, there was just no point to it. I don't understand it. If he goes back down to 135, that's a possibility. But for Lomachenko, I don't know what he's got, man. He's gonna get, he's gonna beat Crowley this weekend. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And then he's going to, later this year, get Comey and I think beat him. He's just got to keep lining these dudes up and taking their titles. That's just all he can do. And unfortunately, there's just not a big name for him yet. At some point, he's probably going to have to go to 140 for a one-off and fight a name that's way bigger than him. And he, he, he might lose that fight. It might end up kind of looking, in terms of name recognition, like when Gennady finally got Canelo, like a smaller version of that where Canelo was the A-side, he got the benefit of the doubt from the judges. We all saw what happened in the first fight. Loma might get a, wind up in a situation like that, just like Kovalev kind of did with Andre Ward in their first fight. It's the business, guys, and it's where we're at. The demographics are changing, the power structure is changing, but some guys got to go through those growing pains so the next generation can benefit. Uh, LC asks, hi, Mike, what's some new stuff when you've boxed What's some stuff when you've boxed yourself that have struggled with and stuff that you've been good at? Thanks, as always, for this podcast. Um, hmm. 
stuff I've naturally been good at with my boxing, just my experience, you know, with uh, the little bit of boxing I've done. This is just what I've been told. Um, good chin, never been dropped, never been seriously hurt. I have been, um, I don't want to use the word buzzed. I've been uh, woken up a little bit. The worst I've ever experienced from a punch is I caught a really good right hand that I moved right into. It spun my head around and just the way it looked was, you know, when my head spun is I just saw tracers of colors and then the picture frame paused for a second, just like a split second. And then everything came to again. It was like for a split second, I was kind of like frozen. That's, that's the worst experience I've had taking a shot. One time in the Marine Corps, when we were doing hand-to-hand -hand combat training with pugil sticks, we would fight with sticks. I, I don't know if they still do that, but we'd have these big sticks and we'd fight with them. One dude whacked me with that one time and that dropped me to my knees. That's the only time I've been down in an actual combat situation. But um, so I've been told I got a pretty sturdy chin. I do a lot of neck exercises. Um, I keep my head down. Yeah, Tiffany sees me do them and, and she laughs at me because I lift weights with my chin. I do all kinds of crazy shit, but it, it works, man. And I keep my chin down very well. I'm very disciplined with keeping my chin down. Don't always keep my hands up though. That's something I've been bitched at a lot. I would just, you know, keep my head down, just take the shot to the forehead when it's like, hey, you don't have to do that. Pick that shit off or move your feet and just get out of range. I've been told my jab is really good. I, I really, really worked hard on my jab. And I was told I have super long arms. I'm like a freaking monkey. I have long ass monkey arms. And I was told, you know, from early on, work on your damn jab. That's all you got to do is a jab in the right hand. Uh, sometimes I like getting close and, you know, I, I like um, feeling someone on me and, and, and uh, working in range, which I shouldn't do because I'm tall, but sometimes that's just fun to do. And it's, it's kind of against my best interest. But uh, yeah, nice, good jab, pretty sturdy chin. Uh, the one thing, you know, I could always work on, I think, is footwork. And, um, you know, that's something that comes with being in shape. The thing for me, the hardest thing for me is, you know, I'm doing a million different things in my life. I'm a super busy guy and being disciplined. When I go on the road and I cover fights and stuff, I have beers with everyone. I talk, I hang out and you feel it the next time you spar. There have been times where I've gone sober for like a month, two months, you know, even three months before. And I've gone on diets and stuff. And man, you float. Your footwork is just twice as good. For whatever reason, it just works that way. But you go out and have a night of drinking or you eat like shit for a couple weeks, your feet are heavy, you can't move and you take more shots. It's just how it is. So it's just that consistency, I'd say, is my weakness. Uh, let's see. Uh, Gonzalo Anaya says, but what's the problem with Adams? He's the contender winner. Doesn't contender mean contention of a title? Yeah, but that show, I think, I don't even know what season that was last year. I mean, it wasn't the strongest cast that they've ever had on that show. So, um, you know, for a guy like Charlo, and again, I'm going to bring up the comparison between him and Golovkin because, you know, it comes up a lot. When Golovkin was being ducked, or I won't say ducked, avoided. Now, he was ducked by guys like Sergio Martinez, Miguel Cotto. They wanted no part of Golovkin. And I kind of understand. At the stage of their career that they were at, they were in the twilight of their career. They weren't trying to rush toward Golovkin. But Canelo avoided him for a while. Okay, When all that was happening, Golovkin stayed busy. And sometimes he'd get the top 10 guy that would be willing to fight him for a reasonable you know, price and negotiation and everything. But a lot of times top 10 guys wouldn't. 
He fought whoever the hell they could get. And that's what Charlo should be doing. And I know for a damn fact that there's several guys out there they could have got for about the same money that are better than Brandon Adams. And in-house. They just match those guys so weakly. And it's going to end up biting them in the ass. And it's a pattern we've seen with PBC and the way they build guys up for years. They're not the only ones. Not the only ones. But it is a pattern I see. Anyway, Brandon Adams is not even a top 10 middleweight. He's just not. So for Charlo, who's bitching about everyone ducking him, he wants his respect. He wants his title shot. He wants the big names. And by the way, Demetrius Andrade is even worse than Charlo when it comes to this kind of stuff. They're just not stepping up and taking the fights they need to. If you're going to fight Brandon Adams, cool. Fight Brandon Adams in June. But you need to be fighting two or three months later if there's no injury. But we know what's probably going to happen. He's going to fight Brandon Adams in June. One other guy, maybe in the top 10, maybe in November, December. And that's going to be his 2018. Dude, that's not going to get people banging the drums for you to fight Canelo. Ain't going to happen. Ernie Wiles asks, Tiafimo Lopez against Lomachenko. What are your thoughts on this, Michael? Should it happen? Uh, you just talked about this a few minutes ago. It's just, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think Lopez is going to end up moving up to 140, and I could see him eventually fighting a guy like Jose Carlos Ramirez. And quite frankly, I'd rather see that. It's two guys in the same age range, same size. Uh, Lopez is a big kid for 135. We've met him in person. His hands are huge. His hands got away five freaking pounds each. He is going to definitely, at some point in his career, probably be a welterweight. Okay. So him against Ramirez or something next year, late next year, I could absolutely see. It sounds crazy, but something like that I see happening before him fighting Lomachenko. I just don't see it. Fried Pork says, hello from Tokyo. It's already Tuesday morning. It's already the future. He just hit us up from the future. That's crazy. That's crazy, man. Fried Pork, I appreciate it. I just ate fried pork for dinner. I had pork katsu. We went over to the sushi joint across the street. And um, yeah, so cool. What's up, man? Tokyo. We got Tokyo. We got Honduras. We got like an international thing happening here on TNC 166. I'm loving this. As CISO asks, will Loma fight three times this year? I know he wants to. I, I know that him and, uh, and Aram, they want to fight three times this year, and they certainly don't want to be on ESPN Plus on a Friday night. This thing with Krola, guys, I don't want to get into a big, long thing about it, but Eddie Hearn tried to uh, pull some strings to get that the purse bid process going to where he could outbid Aram and get that fight over in the UK and on the zone. And I understand that, but Aram to avoid that whole process, because he wants to build Lomachenko up on ESPN, had to overpay for this fight and bring it over there. So what I'm, I'm telling you all this because it's important to understand that Top Rank and, and Bob Arum, they have a business plan with their guys. They have a plan for Lomachenko and Crawford. The problem is they're kind of in this holding pattern right now, waiting for other chips to, to, to fall down where they need them. And you know it's, it's a stubbornness with Top Rank. They have years where all the chips line up and they kill it. They crush it. They have an awesome year. And then they have years like this that are kind of developmental years that suck. And right now, there's a lot of people that will look and kind of scratch their head and say, what the hell is Top Rank doing? 
But if you look at the history of top rank in this business, they've been around for a long time and they know that it goes like this, up and down, just like a, a stock, if you're looking at your 401k balance, it's gonna go up and down. But as long as it trends up over the years, you're doing good, right? That's the way top rank looks at things. All right, one more and then we'll get into the review. Melvin Perez, would it be wise for Jacobs to ignore the rehydration clause and come in bigger? No, I think that he took a lot of shit for that against Golovkin. I think that'd be really stupid. He's naturally gonna come in bigger anyway. He just needs to keep doing what he's doing. He's got 30 days to lose about 14 more pounds. Size is not gonna win him the fight with Canelo. Canelo's a stronger, physically sturdier, stronger guy than Golovkin. I know that's gonna trigger some of you, but it's the truth. He's a stocky, strong guy. Keep in mind, man, he's a lot younger than Golovkin, right? So they're the same size right now, and Canelo's younger. So physicality-wise, I think he's gonna match up with Jacob's size just fine. Jacobs knows this. He knows that him coming in bigger and heavier isn't gonna win him the fight. What's gonna win him the fight is boxing craft, him staying on the outside, him using his jab, him avoiding Canelo's pressure and body work. I think Canelo is gonna fight Jacobs the way he fought Golovkin in their rematch. And Jacobs is gonna to have to be able to go 12 hard rounds. His stamina is gonna to have to be at an all-time high to finish that fight on his feet, and he knows it. So it's not about weight, it's about shape and conditioning. Okay, guys, we'll get back to some questions in a bit. People from Colorado? Mexico? The Philippines? Germany. Germany. Milwaukee. Milwaukee, Scotland. Man, we got people from multiple continents. I'm loving this, man. That's why I love boxing. It's it's truly a global worldwide sport and virtually every type of person you could think of is represented somehow some way in this sport. Every demographic, everybody. It's it's awesome. All right. Let's get into the review. It wasn't a whole lot of what took place last week. So Friday, April 5th, there was a showbox card that Mayweather Promotions put on in Las Vegas. All his prospects, Angelo Leo, Xavier Martinez, Andres Cortez, they all win and stay perfect. In Dubai, United Arab Emirates, there was a card there featuring 2016 Irish Olympian David Oliver Joyce a featherweight who improved to 10-0. That was picked up by ESPN+, Plus, so you got to see those here in the States. That was pretty much it. There's a card over in Poland on Saturday, April 6th, and on the undercard, buried way deep on the undercard. It's not like it was the, the co-feature or whatever. This is deep on the undercard. Uh, fight of the year candidate, Robert Talarek. TKO5 win over Patrick Szymanski. So Talarek is 24, 13, and two. He is 35 years old. He works full-time as a miner, right? So th this is a hard-working guy, right, who has carved out a hard scrabble career for himself. He was the opponent in this fight. Uh, Patrick Shabansky is 19 and two, 25 years old. Uh, he lost his last fight coming into this. And I think they kind of brought him in against Talarek to kind of have a comeback fight. Cause he had just, he won his first 19 fights, lost his last fight. And I think his management, you know, kind of matched him up in this fight. It wasn't an easy matchup, it was, you know, tough matching, 
But he was the A-side. He was the favored fighter, and he was supposed to get back in the win column because he was once seen kind of as a prospect. But now after starting 19-0, he's lost two in a row. Telerik, the, big, the best opponent he has fought was Liam Smith back in Liverpool in 2015. He was knocked out uh, TKO in the eighth round. Started his career 10-11-2. He is 14-2 since. So that is the definition of a guy who has learned on the job. Think of him in, in a way, okay? Don't take this too far, this comparison. But in a way, the Polish Orlando Salido. That is kind of a way to look at him. A guy who's learned on the job. Although he did have, I think, somewhat of an amateur career. Anyway, 10 knockdowns in this fight. 10 Dieci, Diaz, 10 knockdowns in five rounds, and Talaric wins it. So it's all over YouTube. Find it, check it out. Very, very worth your time. Uh, we already have a fight of the year contender. And man, because, look, Lipinets Peterson would probably, if we had a vote right now, okay, the Boxing Writers Association of America and all those kinds of people, they'd vote for Lipinets Peterson because those are better fighters. And it was a more high-profile fight, yada, yada, yada. Two former titleists, okay. But in terms of just back-and-forth action, holy shit. Make sure you look this up. Let me spell their last names just so you guys can write it down and look it up on YouTube. You know, chances are if you're watching this or listening to this, you've probably already seen this fight because you're pretty much a boxing diehard. But Robert Telerik, T-A-L-A-R-E-K. Look him up. It's on YouTube. It's worth checking out, okay? Now let's get into the preview re real quick, and then I will uh, answer some more questions, okay? Now, we actually have a lot of boxing this week all over the place. So Wednesday, April 10th, there is a DeBella card. DeBella Entertainment is uh, kicking off. Uh, well, his, he just signed a deal with UFC Fight Pass, and there's a Broadway boxing card. That's a series he's been doing for a while. That's going to be on UFC Fight Pass. Again, I still don't know what that is. But there's more and more fights on it all the time. So I, I guess I need to look into it. But if you have UFC Fight Pass, check that out Wednesday night. Friday, April 12th at Staples Center. Talked about this a while ago, right? Vasily Lomachenko defending his WBA and WBO uh, lightweight titles against Anthony Crawler, his WBA mandatory. Now, uh, him and his team and uh, Bob Arum wanted Richard Comey, who I think has the IBF, I believe it's IBF title. Um, it, it just won his first title in his last fight. And I think he should have already had a title before because I think he beat Robert Easter. But that's another discussion for another day. Anyway, he's injured. So right now, instead of sitting on his ass, Lomachenko's fighting is mandatory. Now, there are some people who are pissed off about this in criticizing Lomachenko. I don't quite understand it. Uh, no one wants to fight the guy. Mikey Garcia didn't want any part of him. He'd rather go up and, and fight Errol Spence than fight Lomachenko. So uh, where he's at now, man, just stay busy. And while you're staying busy, fight your mandatory. So I don't mind this fight. Uh, you know, I'm going to watch it. I'm looking forward to it. Do I wish it was on regular ESPN and getting a little more exposure? Yes. But because of all the scheduling and everything going on right now, ESPN Plus is where they had to put this. When you compare it to Vojdik Nungumbu and, um, and uh, Pulev Dinu, it's hard to understand how those were on regular ESPN, but Lomachenko Krala is on ESPN+. Plus. Now, Evan Korn over at um, 
at top rank. He tweeted at me today and said, look, we're trying to build up the ESPN Plus thing. We need stars to fight on ESPN Plus. And I do believe Terrence Crawford has already fought once on ESPN Plus. And people were saying at the time, of course, certain people on YouTube and everything were saying that was racist because Bob Arum wasn't treating Terrence Crawford right. Imagine that. But, and now Lomachenko is on ESPN Plus. But anyway, it does make sense. Put them on there. Build up ESPN Plus. I get it. It's just, it's just one of those things where, man, in two weeks, two straight weeks, the two best fighters in the world, most people feel it's Lomachenko and Crawford. They're going to be on ESPN Plus and then on pay-per-view in fights that nobody really wants to see. So it's a little depressing. 2019 is just shooting itself in the ass so far. And I understand this is kind of a setup year. In boxing, that's how it goes. You have a big year with a lot of big fights, and then the next year it goes back down. You have kind of a setup development year, and then the year after that it builds back up and you have the big fights. It's this up and down thing. It's just part of life. Anyway, Krola has six losses. But generally speaking, the guy goes rounds. Uh, I think he's only been stopped once that I can remember. He went the distance with Jorge Linares in their two fights in 2016, 2017. So don't shoot the messenger, but it's very possible this fight could go 12 rounds. I know, it sounds crazy. A lot of you out there are gonna wanna punch me for saying that, but it is possible. Krola is a tough guy. Lomachenko isn't a huge puncher, even at featherweight, let alone lightweight. So I favor, obviously I favor Lomachenko huge, and I, you should, I mean, if you were betting, it'd be smart to take Lomachenko late TKO. But if you, if you see good odds and a good deal from a bookmaker for Lomachenko decision, might be a good value to bet that, because there is a possibility this thing could go to distance. Again, I'm not saying it will, but I'm saying it's very, very possible. A lot of people think this is gonna be an absolute blowout, and I've told you guys about this sort of thing before, you know, sometimes, yeah, 100 to 1 favorite Lomachenko is, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to wipe him out in two rounds, right? Styles make fights. Also on this card, Gilberto Ramirez against Tommy Carpency for Zerto. This is his 175-pound debut, trying to make a splash in that division. You figure he's got to be going after one of those uh, titleists soon. I mean, for real, by the end of the year. Let's see how he looks in this fight, but if he passes the test... Get him in there against Baturbiev later this year. Something, okay? Uh, for Carpency, this guy was KO'd already by Vojdik. He was KO'd by Adana Stevenson. He was KO'd by Andre Sponfara. If Ramirez can punch through a wet paper bag at 175, he should score a technical knockout in this fight. Do I see a big one-punch highlight reel kind of knockout? No. Zerto doesn't do that. But he should get an accumulation stoppage win in this fight. Also, a uh, Long Beach Cali prospect, 140-pound prospect, Arnold Barboza. Not much power, but pretty, pretty heavy-handed, solid guy. Going up against Mike Alvarado, who is 38, a very old 38. A lot of nose candy, a lot of late-night partying, a lot of blowing up in weight. Um, Barboza, I wish, you know, that's going to sound bad. I don't want to say that. I was going to say... I wish he had huge punching power so that this fight would be over quick. I'm more concerned because Barboza isn't a big puncher that this could just be a one-sided drubbing where Mike Alvarado takes tons of punishment for 10 rounds. Hopefully that's not what happens. But if there's anything to Barboza, he should win big over Alvarado. All right, so that's Friday. Saturday, April 13th, we got a few different cards. I'll go over these real quick and then we'll get to questions, okay guys? 
Monterey, Mexico. Golden Boy Promotions putting on a card there on the zone. Jaime Munguia defending his WBO junior middleweight title against Dennis Hogan, who is an Irish Australian, born and raised in Ireland, now fights out of Australia. 5'8", 34 years old. Apparently, he had about 150 amateur fights in Ireland, but they were all in Ireland. So there's, that's not saying much, right? Ireland isn't necessarily a hotbed of amateur boxing. Some good amateur fighters come out of Ireland, but they fight internationally. If you're only fighting there, yeah, I don't know. So a lot of amateur fights, but not much substance to them. Uh, the only time he ever stepped up as a fighter is when he fought Jack Colquet in 2015. He lost that fight. So... Look, Jaime Munguia, his last fight against uh, Inoue, not related to Naoya Inoue. I think it was Taka, Takfumi. I, I can't remember his first name, but Inoue, Japanese middleweight, um, went the distance. Didn't look spectacular in that fight. This matchmaking is perfect. He will score a knockout Saturday. So Jaime Munguia fans, you're going to get to see him score a knockout this Saturday on the zone. Also on this card, Oscar De La Hoya's cousin, Diego 21-0, uh, did all that work at 122 pounds, really was seen as a, uh, the next big thing in a lot of people's eyes. Uh, first, you know, like a real, a real top blue chip prospect and then really turning into a contender on the verge of becoming a star. He really hasn't fought much recently, man. He's had trouble making weight. He fought five times in 2015, three times in 2016, four times in 2017, including a big win over Randy Caballero, on a Canelo Triple G one card. And that's when everyone was looking at him like, man, he's the next big thing. I'm, I'm really excited to see what this kid can do. Fought only once in 2018. And he had two, not one, but two fights that were canceled because he missed weight. He couldn't make 122. So he's coming back here fighting Enrique Bernache, Bernache uh, 126 pounds. He says after this fight, he wants to try to get back down to 122. I think that is a mistake. They should stay at 126. Dude, don't fuck with your health. It's four pounds. If he looks good at 126 against uh, Enrique Bernache, stay there. Don't go back down to 22. So that's that card. Uh, PBC has a, a card on Fox Sports 1 from Warriors Boxing at the Minneapolis Armory. Sergey Derevyanchenko making his ring return from the, his first professional loss against Daniel Jacobs last October against Jack Kolke, who I just talked about a second ago because he beat Dennis Hogan. Uh, Kolke, former Olympian, <coughs> Olympian. Uh, he has losses to Suleki and Andrade, but um, other than that, he's a good quality experienced fighter. And I like this fight as a return fight for Derevyanchenko. I like that he's coming right back against this level of opponent. I love that. This is an IBF eliminator for middleweight. An IBF middleweight eliminator. So, um, look, Derevyanchenko, I, I think Jacobs has the IBF title. Yeah, he has the IBF title. He fought him for the IBF title. Lost in a close fight. His next fight back is for an eliminator. Why not? Why not? Also on this card, Peter Quillen, Kid Chocolate. Remember him? Going up against Caleb Truax. So, for Quillen, some, somehow this is an IBF super middleweight eliminator. Now, this I don't quite understand. But... Uh, Quill has fought twice since the TKO one loss to Daniel Jacobs in 2015. Twice. I think he fought once last year. Uh, fought absolutely nobody of note. And now he's in somehow an IBF eliminator. I get why Truax is in the eliminator. 
he just had two title fights, right? He recently, he held the title and then lost it. A lot of people felt that he uh, beat DeGale in the rematch and should still have his title. So I understand why he's in a title eliminator. I don't understand what Quillen's doing there. But I favor, I'd love to see Truax get the W, and it's possible he could. But PBC-wise, I think it's very, very possible. Just, just, I'm not trying to give a conspiracy theory. I'm just saying the chalk, the name recognition, the brand here is Quillen. And I think that he's going to get the benefit of the doubt from the judges and win a decision here. And that means we're going to, at some point later this year, see Caleb Plant in Peter Quillen fight. Maybe early next year, depending on how things pan out with Caleb Plant. He's going through a lot of personal things right now. Uh, if Truex wins, I just think Truex is such a hardworking guy. He's earned it. And it would just be a great story for him. And I'd actually be a lot more interested in seeing Caleb Truax and Caleb Plant fight than seeing Peter Quillen and Caleb Plant uh, fight. Peter Quillen, I just haven't been excited to see because he hasn't, he hasn't earned anything the last few years. He's sat in his ass. In fact, he ducked, uh, he ducked Korobov. Remember that situation? He took side money from Al Heyman under the table to not fight Korobov. And Korobov ends up fighting Charlo all these years later. Just a crazy situation with Quillen and, and his career, man. Okay, one more fight, guys. Boardwalk Hall, Atlantic City, Showtime. It's the ladies. It's ladies night. Clarissa Shields, Christina Hammer, completely unifying the middleweight division, 160 pounds. All four major titles on the line, complete unification. Uh, Shields is five foot eight, 68 inch reach. Hammer, five foot 11, 71 inch reach. So Hammer is the taller, longer fighter. Shields is 24 years old, a three year pro. Hammer, 28 years old, a 10 year pro. So in terms of wear and tear, Shields has a major advantage here. But in terms of experience, Hammer, has major, you know, I wouldn't say a major advantage, but she has an advantage here. I won't say major advantage because Shields did go to two Olympics and that matters, that's a big deal, okay? That's a lot of experience there. But the pros is the pros. Hammer, taller, longer, more experienced as a pro, but Shields, fresher. And she has looked better in recent fights. Her boxing craft has been better. Working with John David Jackson, She's been trying to settle down to not rush in and smother her work. A lot of her amateur success was, and look, women's boxing in the amateurs in the Olympics hasn't been around very long. And she just had an advantage by being naturally stronger than the girls she was fighting and just basically bullying them and being rough, using roughhouse tactics and uh, using her weight and her physical strength to just dominate these girls, right, in the amateurs. And she did that early in her pro career. Later on, though, in the last couple of fights, her trainers, they've been trying to get her to settle down and to box more, okay? I actually think she has to revert a little more to the old Clarissa Shields to win this fight. If she sits back and just tries to box with Christina Hammer, I think Hammer might be overall the better boxer, just in terms of uh, staying behind that jab, staying long, using distance, using range, shooting down, like downhill with the right hand. Uh, I just think that there's probably more experience there for Hammer and more comfort doing that. 
Clarissa has to get a little rough in this fight. She has to get inside. She has to get physical and rough with Hammer. Hammer's used to having things her own way, fighting in controlled situations over in Europe. She's going to be in America. She's going to be in Clarissa Shields' backyard. You know, not exactly Flint, Michigan, but it's still the United States. You know what I'm saying? It's her backyard. And the crowd's going to be for Shields. So uh, Shields has to use that to her advantage and try to get in Hammer's head and get physical, get rough, get nasty. Uh, just that sort of thing, Hammer's not used to, not used to seeing that. So I don't know how to feel about this fight. I go back and forth. I can see Hammer boxing beautifully and winning a decision and slightly exposing some of the flaws Shields has. Shields, on paper, doesn't have the power to hurt Hammer. Hammer has been hurt before, though, especially with punches from odd angles, punches on breaks, that sort of thing. And Shields, if she gets rough and throws that kind of stuff, she can land it, and she's not going to be penalized for it. So that, then there's also part of me, though, that says Hammer could box very, very well, but if a round is close, it's going to go to Shields. And I could just see a situation here where we end up with a close, controversial decision win for Shields that has a lot of you guys fighting and arguing and using the word robbery. That's what I see happening. So, okay, guys, let's, uh, let's go to some questions here. That is the preview. A lot of boxing this weekend. Love it, because last weekend sucked. Uh, let's see. Ernie Wiles asks, any speculation on what the Pacquiao-Rizin agreement is all about? So guys, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with this, and I didn't even mention in my news and notes because quite frankly, I just don't give a shit. Um, Rizin is the company that I think put on the Mayweather uh, tension exhibition money grab that happened over in Japan. Was that this year or last year? I can't even remember. Pacquiao just signed a deal with them, but no details have been given. Ooh, it's a secret. We got to keep us in suspense. It probably means Pacquiao is going to do one of those exhibitions at some point, or he's going to promote one of them and maybe have one of his fighters fight on one of them. Honestly, I just kind of don't care about those crossover type of fights. I just don't. Sean Thompson says, what's up, guys? What's up, Sean? How you doing, man? Uh, glad the new house is coming along. Where can Crawford go after Khan if and when he wins? Sean thinks, uh, yeah, man, the house... It was a rough weekend. We had some, Tiffany and I had some meltdowns this weekend because uh, Tiffany had several meltdowns. I actually held, I was the glue that held this shit together. We've had some complications over the last couple of weeks dealing with um, a retailer around here where we get our materials from that wanted to dick us around on an order. I won't get into all of it. It was a rough weekend, but things are looking brighter today. Anyway, um, Crawford. It's interesting you mentioned this. I'm going to go ahead and plug some of my work right now. I actually, just last night, after we got home from the house and ate, I sent Doug Fisher over my latest article on Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence in the current state of the welterweight division. And one of the things I talked about in the article was uh, there's just not that many options for Crawford. Spence has a ton of options. It's an embarrassment of riches over at PBC when it comes to available welterweights for uh, Spence. So Crawford would, in, in top rank, and Aram, they would love to get a fight with Errol Spence right now. But I don't know if it's going to happen because 
Dude's got so many options. He can make a lot of money and build up the fight with Crawford and let Crawford get old and basically basically Canelo him, right? The way Canelo did to Golovkin, the way uh, Leonard did to Hagler, the way Mayweather did to Pacquiao. It's just the way it's done in boxing. Uh, so that's probably what's going to happen. But for Crawford, you know, I do think at some point he's got to fight some of the PBC guys. But Bob, Grandpa Bob, doesn't like spending a lot of money on fighters he doesn't represent. He just doesn't like doing it. He's paying Amir Khan $4 million right now. He doesn't love doing that, but he knows that Khan is going to bring a, a certain fan base with him, and ultimately that fight will make a small profit. I know it sounds crazy, but the Crawford Khan event will make a small profit because Khan does bring a certain fan base and name recognition with him. And that's why Grandpa Bob paid. Now, for the record, he's made multiple offers to Danny Garcia. He's offered him, I know at one point it was $3 million. It might have been $4 million for this one. Maybe it was still three. I, either way, it was a career-high purse for Garcia. Garcia turned it down. Some of these PBC guys, remember Adrian Broner was offered a Pacquiao fight years ago when Pacquiao was still with Bob Arum. Then when Pacquiao went over to PBC, boom, he accepts the fight. So... It's a two-way street, and you guys are crazy if you think that the folks at PBC like working with Bob Arum. They don't like working with each other. So I really don't know what the hell Crawford's going to do. They've got Igadigis Kavaliauskas, top rank does. That's about it at welterweight. So at some point, he's going to fight the mean machine. He has to. After that, I just don't know, man. He can't move up to 154. He'll get clobbered. Johnny Boy asked, I just discovered... The Alexander Besputin kid, Mike, what are your thoughts on the guy? Yeah, I think he's actually going to be on the card this weekend. Um, I'm not 100% sold yet. Good-looking prospect, though. Nice skills, good amateur career. Uh, he's relocated over here, fights and trains out of Oxnard, one of the Aegis Clemus guys, I believe. So um, good stock, working with good guys in a good gym. We'll see how he develops, you know. Um, but definitely a guy to keep your eye on, absolutely. Sabi MD says, shouts from the Sun City. Forgive me. Where is the Sun City? Is that Phoenix? I'm just guessing. Because yeah, um, it's really sunny in Phoenix. I don't know. It just popped in my head. But you got to let me know, where, where is the Sun City? But, yo, thank wherever the Sun City is, thank you for watching. I love that we have so many people from all over the place watching right now. Uh, he asked, I'm assuming it's a he, Asks, what is the criteria for fighters getting nominated into the International Boxing Hall of Fame and how can non-fighters get inducted? So, it is five years after you retire. Five years after, or I'm sorry, five years after your last fight, you're eligible. And um, every year, I th how many fighters, there's a certain amount of fighters that have to get in, which I think is a stupid process. It's either three or four. So it'll be a bunch of names on a ballot. There'll be 20 names on a ballot and it'll go to uh, anybody in the union, the uh, Boxing Writers Association of America, which I don't pay union, I don't do unions. Unions can blow me. So, um, you know, I had to do Screen Actors Guild in LA, but as soon as I moved out here, I told them to, you know, go bl blow themselves. Um, anyway, I'll take their residual money, but I ain't paying their dues. Fuck that. South Africa is the Sun City? What part of South Africa? Well, just Google it. Or Sean Newton, where's the Sun City? 
Now, I'm, I'm curious now. I'm genuinely curious. I love this. People that are going to listen to the audio podcast, this are going to be like, what the hell are these guys doing? Because they can't see us right now. Um, but anyway, yeah, so th there will be about 20 or so names. Um, and a lot of the guys are on the ballot every year or just don't get in, but they just stay on the ballot every year, right? But it's either, don't quote me right now, guys, it's either three or four guys that have to get in every year. So you have to pick like three or four guys. I want to say it's three. At least three guys, but you can pick more. I think it's a stupid process. I think that it should just be who you think, you should just vote for who you think's deserving, whether it's one fighter or eight. But anyway, there is a fighter section and then there is a non-fighter section. I can't remember the name that they call Ah, there's, a, there's a certain name they have for that section that is non-fighters. It could be celebrities. It could be media people. But, I mean, someone like Sylvester Stallone can be on there, right, for his contribution to boxing through the Rocky movies. Uh, I think it's called Observer, Observers. Whether it is, uh, again, a media member. It could be a commentator, right? It could be like Al Bernstein's a commentator. He's not necessarily a media guy. He's in the Hall of Fame. So they have different sections, and you vote for the guys that you think deserve it. That's it. Checkhook93 asks, do you think Granados versus Garcia is a sneaky good fight? Hell yeah, that's a very good fight. Do not sleep on that. We will talk more about that next week. Graham Acasso asks, how do you think Russia's political standing in the U.S. has affected the public's opinion of Eastern European fighters? You know, with all things political, brother, I'd say it, Im it improves their standing with half of the country and it lowers their standing with the other half of the country. Unfortunately, that's the world we live in. Rap Life asks, do you think the Spence versus Crawford fight will happen in 2020? I don't think so. And I, I wrote about that in my article. I don't think it's possible till 2021. And at that point, I don't know. It's probably past its due date. It might be. I don't know. One of the guys might lose their O before then. Crawford might be too old. He's been fighting a lot longer than Spence. And Spence might be at 54, man. He might not be able to make 47 anymore. So Unfortunately, I would bet against it. That's just my belief. Joe AMG asks, where will Usyk be ranked after the Takam fight? Depends on his performance. If he struggles, if he wins, you know, seven rounds to five type of decision, uh, maybe number 10, maybe. If he goes in there and absolutely mops the floor with the guy, he's going to shoot up the rankings pretty quick. If he struggles and wins controversially or something, he's not even in the top 10. So we'll just have to wait and see. I think he's going to look really good. I just have a feeling he's going to be dominant and it's going to be very impressive. Uncle Bert apostrophe asks, all right, Mike, do you reckon Loma wants to get out before he starts to physically decline? Would tie in with his recent projections for retirement? I don't see Lomachenko going away anytime soon. I think he's having too much fun. The man loves boxing and he still has goals. I know at one point he wants to win a title at 140. As Bob Arum says, this is Bob Arum talking, I'm paraphrasing, but he recently said in an interview, these Eastern European guys, they love winning titles. They love collecting belts. They hate giving up the belts. And he was talking about the crawler fight and how they had to take it because Loma does not want to give up the title, the WBA title. So I think at some point, once he cleans out 135, he's going to want to go to 140. But he's going to, before, before he retires, he's going to want that big, big fight, you know, against the name. I don't know who it's going to be. Likely going to be somebody at 140. We've got that tournament going on there. All those guys have to consolidate the titles. But if there's one name that comes out of that whole thing, let's say it's Josh Taylor. 
Maybe Lomachenko goes over to the UK and fights Josh Taylor for a boatload of money. I can see that happening. But he's going to be around for at least three more years, bro. Trust me. Exizo asks, will boxing get better or worse when Aram dies? Going to happen soon. Ouch. Big, big ouch. It depends what happens with top rank. Personally, um, I think Bob Aram has done a lot of good for boxing. I understand that he's an annoying guy sometimes and he's very stubborn and he has his ways. But just look at the history of what Bob Arum and Top Rank have done. I mean, come on, man. Would American boxing be where it is right now if it weren't partially for Bob Arum? I don't know. Johnny Boy asks, when are we going to get to see Kovalev back in the ring and who against? I talked about this earlier in the episode, so make sure you go back and watch it, Johnny Boy. But he's got a court date, April 19th. Depending on what happens with that, Assuming he doesn't do any jail time or anything, is going to be fighting Anthony Yard next. And they have a purse bid meeting on April 15th. So it's going to be Anthony Yard. It's either going to be in the UK if Yard's side, Frank Warren, wins the purse bid. If Kovalev's side wins the purse bid, it could be in Russia. His main events would love to bring him over to Russia for that fight. Azier asks Kovalev versus Yard. Are you asking me my pick? It just says Kovalev versus Yard. <laughs> uh... I favor Kovalev. Look, there's a chance Yard could land something big if he's, you know, young and strong and explosive. He could. But I, I, I would, if I had to bet, I'd favor Kovalev just boxing the shit out of him. Joel Morgan. What's up, Joel? How you doing, man? He asks, uh, what do you think of Loma's fight being on Friday instead of Saturday? It's just a scheduling thing, dude. It, it's not, um, look, some people are saying they didn't want to go up against Hammer and Shields or some of the other fights this weekend. Are any of those fights big enough to really knock Lomachenko off his perch? I don't think so. Shields Hammer is a big, important fight for women's boxing. But mark my words, it won't do... If if Loma was on regular ESPN, it wouldn't do the ratings Lomachenko would do, even against Carla. It just wouldn't. Uh, so I, I think that they put it on Friday just because of scheduling. you got to remember, guys, it's not just the network schedule and what they have going on. It's the venue. Staples. They're fighting at Staples, right? Let me check. Let me because I'm forgetting here. Yeah, they're fighting at Staples. Maybe Staples has something going on Saturday. Uh, maybe the Lakers or the Clippers, one of them's playing, or maybe hockey. They do. They have a bunch of different sports and stuff going on in that that place. So maybe Saturday night there's a game or something, and they just couldn't get the venue they wanted on Saturday, so they went with Friday. I would say it's a scheduling thing. Jason Goldstein asks, "Hey, Mike and Tiffany, what's up? What's up, Jason? How you doing, man?" Charleston, in the house. What's the ceiling for Joshua Boazzi? Also, you've mentioned UFC Fight Pass a few times. It's a UFC streaming service that has the complete fight library. Okay, so that sounds like an ESPN Plus kind of thing, right? Do you, do you pay extra for this, I'm assuming? Uh, what? So it's its own network. So it's more like DAZN, actually. It's not on a network. I'm assuming UFC Fight Pass is a DAZN type of thing. Uh, Joshua Boazzi looked really good in his last fight. Uh, really, really good. So uh, I want to see more of them. And we just got to, you know, you never know with these guys when they're being matched easy. As they start moving up in the world and, you know, they start taking some shots, you can see how legit they are or not. Want to see more. But with prospects, I don't like jumping the gun and getting too excited. But definitely a lot of potential there. Cezo asks, uh, Clarissa says there's double standards between how Rousey was treated and her. Did she forget Rhonda turned 
into a meme after getting kicked in the head and again after Nunez beat her. Thoughts? Yeah, dude, look. I figured this would come up at some point in this episode, and it will probably come up next week, depending on what happens between Shields and Hammer. Unfortunately, um, Shields ha has a worldview that is completely out of touch with reality. Now, if you share her worldview, then you feel that is reality. And there's a lot of you guys out there in the social media sphere who rip on me and a lot of my colleagues because of the truth that we tell you guys sometimes. Um, but Clarissa Shields, she's a very divisive, polarizing type of personality. And I don't think she quite understands the impact of some of the things she says and some of the way she presents herself. And she's unfortunately being coached by people who have a, an us versus them kind of mentality, a victim mentality. Ronda Rousey took a lot of shit for all the shit she talked. And look, I always thought Ronda Rousey, I don't watch MMA, but I can tell within five minutes of watching her that she was extremely overrated. And then watching her box and, and remembering ESPN doing little vignettes and specials about her, she could beat, I think Dana White even said she could beat Floyd Mayweather. I mean, just ridiculous stuff. Just stupid, ridiculous stuff. Again, I made videos about Rousey saying her Fighter of the Year award is a complete joke and a catastrophe. Um, and there were a lot of white knights protecting her, of course. But when she finally lost, holy shit, the internet blew up. There were memes all over the place. And, you know, none of that was deemed as being racist or sexist or any of that kind of stuff. It was her getting her comeuppance because she had kind of started believing her own hype a little bit too much and she had to get knocked down off her perch. Could that happen to a certain degree with Clarissa Shields at some point? I don't know. But Clarissa doesn't seem to get it the way so many other fighters do. Boxing is a business, but it's also part of the entertainment business, right? It's important to remember that. It's entertainment. And some of that is the way you present yourself. Some of that is appealing to the biggest possible core audience that you can. And that goes to how you conduct yourself, how you communicate. It also goes to promotion. What are you doing to promote yourself? The people that represent you, how are they promoting you? You know, there's a million things I could talk about here. But for her to bring up the Ronda Rousey example shows that she didn't outright say it, but she is racializing her popularity or lack thereof, her respect or lack thereof. And she's saying somebody like Rousey was undeserving, which I think is, so, is very unfair. And she's doing this right before she fights a Caucasian woman. She is racializing this. I've also seen some articles on a couple of sites. I won't name them because some of you guys on Twitter will at them and try to get me in trouble as one of you did last week. But I've seen some articles on sites talking about Clarissa Shields. This isn't just a fight for her. It's for all of women's boxing and it's for the Me Too movement and it's for black Americans being disrespected and you know uh, people not liking our culture and the way we talk. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying this. These articles were saying that. Some of these YouTube videos saying that. It's not that fucking big, guys. It's, it's two women who are undefeated in their physical prime, unifying titles in the middleweight division. It's one of the biggest fights in female boxing history. That's enough. You don't have to add all this other shit on top of it that's irrelevant. If that sort of stuff is relevant to you, cool. 
that matters to you. And you look through everything in life through a filter, through you know some sort of victim filter. For the other 80% of us, we don't give a damn about any of that shit. We just see that it's a good matchup. That's all that should really matter. Clarissa Shields, when you, when you look at the world the way she does, ultimately what you do is you limit yourself. Because if everything you see is through a filter and you see yourself as a victim, can you really achieve the highest possible heights? Can you? The answer is no. But yes, I think she's very ignorant about some things. And unfortunately, there are not people around her that are teaching her better. But it is what it is. She is young, guys. So you know what? Maybe 10 years from now, she'll speak differently and she'll be more experienced. She'll go out in the world. She'll see more things and she'll realize that some of the stuff she was saying around this time in her life was kind of dumb. I know I said a lot of dumb shit when I was young. Uh, Kicks MGC asks, have you heard about the recent beef between Teddy Atlas and Marcus Brown? If so, thoughts? No, nope, I haven't. But... I don't know. Tell me more. <laughs> Ozzy asks, Michael, why is Mayorga still allowed to fight at this stage? I don't know, dude. Samuel Peter is fighting. Remember Samuel Peter? He briefly held a, uh, a heavyweight title. He is fighting on that Shields Hammer undercard this weekend. Why is he still fighting? Steve Forbes just fought. Why is he still fighting? It is what it is. Uncle Bird Apostrophe asks, do you reckon top rank are playing a bit of chess with AJ Hearn, Matrim Dazone, and they're trying to get Fury and Pulev into a Mando positions, which they could try to force onto ESPN. Yes, they're all playing chess with each other. And that's the unfortunate thing about this whole dichotomy right now that we have with different promoters being on different platforms is they're going to try to use the sanctioning organization systems to get certain fights on their platforms so they can be in control. The sanctioning organizations, particularly the WBC and WBA, realize this, and that's why they're making more titles. That's why the WBA recently added their gold title. And you see all these interim and different color titles, right? You're gonna have a foreskin, dickskin title before it's all said and done, because they see the promoters doing this shit and they're saying, ah, shit, we could get more money, get these dudes fighting and positioning for different levels of titles. So you're gonna see a lot more of this. Gonzalo and I ask, what would you favor, or who would you favor in a dream match between Alexander Usyk or Muhammad Ali? Way too soon to make that sort of prediction, brother. Pump the brakes, let Usyk fight at least once at heavyweight, and then get back to me. Too, just too soon for that, bro. Too soon. Petter Thomas asks, are you going to make a prediction breakdown of the Shields Hammer fight? Greetings from Norway. We got Norway in the house. Uh, no, I'm not going to do a prediction for it. I just gave you guys my thoughts and feelings, and we'll talk more about it next week. But, um, you know, look, when I get the house set up and I get the studio set up, we will be doing more. I will be doing more videos during the week, more little one-off videos talking about one subject, just doing a rant video, more prediction videos. It's just very hard to do that right now, guys. Okay. Uh, all right, a few more, then we're going to bounce. We've been going for an hour 10. All right, a few more. Exizo asks, on, on low, I think you're talking Golpe a Golpe, the show. Uh, Zerto said he might move back down to unify with Callum Smith. Aram's working on it. Who do you favor? I'd love to see that fight. Everyone's kind of been talking about Callum Smith. None of the fights have panned out. Um, 
Aram has been going in with Eddie Hearn a lot. They've been bitching and fighting back and forth through the media. And Eddie Hearn represents Callum Smith. So I don't know if that happens. But if it does, awesome. I would probably favor Smith because that fight would happen in the UK. And I just think Zerto would be biting off more than he could chew on that. Um, I'd love to see it, though. I'd love to see it. Those are two big physical super middleweights. Neither guy, Smith might hit a little harder. Zerto's maybe a little more active, but I just think over in the UK, I'd favor Smith to win by decision. That's what I would see. John Uden asked, if Katie Taylor fights Amanda Serrano, will that be more important for women's boxing than Shields versus Hammer? It's, it's, it's in the same ballpark. It's in, it's probably, Ah, damn, dude, that's a tough one. But it's in the same ballpark, okay? I'd see them as about the same. But let's say Katie Taylor beats Serrano. Let's just say, okay? If she beats Serrano and then moves up and fights Cecilia Brekhus at that point, that's the biggest fight in the, all of female boxing history. So it could build to something. The winner between Shields Hammer, I don't know where they go from there. You know, that might be the biggest fight of their career. It might be a three-fight series. I will give the girls credit. They've been promoting the hell out of the fight, talking a lot of shit on Twitter. So uh, if this fight does well, it sells well, it does a good rating, don't be surprised, especially because I see a controversial decision win for Shields, that they do it again and they run it a couple times. JM Superstar asks, hello, Mike from the UK. UK in the house. Question. I don't know what your fighting weight is, but which boxer would you like to spar from which weight class? So when I was in the Marine Corps, uh, light heavy, believe it or not, 6'4", got down to 177. It was 177 back at that time in the amateurs. I don't know if it still is. Uh, 177, and now I'm walking around 225, but if I were gonna fight, I'd wanna be down to 215-ish on fight night. Um, if I really wanted to, maybe I could get down to cruiser. But on fight night, yeah, I'd probably be 210, 215. Um, what fighter would I like to spar? <sighs> Shit. Well, I mean, if I spar with any pro fighter, any good pro fighter, they're gonna beat the shit out of me. So assuming that they would take it lightly on me and we could just talk and I can learn some things from them. I've been told that I fight a lot like Kovalev. I've been told that I move kind of like Kovalev. I've been told by some people I move a little bit. I have a little bit of Arthur Baturbiev in me. Um, but I do get a lot of Kovalev comparisons. I'd like to spar with him. I think that'd be fun. Um, again, if he was like going to take it easy on me, um, I think it'd be awesome to spar with Usyk because his footwork is so phenomenal. To be that size, he'd make me look like an, he'd make me look like an idiot, which, which goes without saying. But I just mean in terms of not even just craft, I'm just talking about footwork. I'd love to spar with that guy and just, just pick his brain just with the footwork. I think that'd be fun. Uh, let's see. Gail Falkenthal. What's up, Gail? How you doing? Mike and Tiff, a couple knows they can make it through anything if they, if they are compatible on a long road trip and if they can survive a home remodeling. Hang in there. We will, Gail. Yeah. It's been, it's been tough. It's well, we did, we remodeled a home in LA, but it was 1,200 square feet, which made it even smaller. This is almost 4,000 square feet, and even smaller spaces. And we ripped it down to the studs, and I've just knocked down so many walls. It's just it's been 
insane. And I'll say this too. The air out here is so humid. It makes painting and sealing everything and like doing drywall and mudding everything just a different experience. Like uh, out in LA, doing it, it dried really quick and you could just move on. It takes several days here just for like paint to dry really good. It's crazy. All right, three more questions, guys. And then we are out. <clears throat> Gonzalo and I ask, are you going to do a live show for Canelo versus Jacobs? Canelo versus Jacobs, that is the day we are moving into the house. However, I'm trying to, conv I'm trying to convince Tiffany to let me do a live fight party that night. She's shaking her head right now off camera. You guys well, can't see this. But yeah, so here we go, guys. If you want a live fight party for Canelo Jacobs, tweet Tiffany, harass the shit out of her on Twitter, and just yeah, if you if you harass her enough, I think she'll give in and she'll let me do it. But it's gonna be crazy. You're gonna see me sitting in front of a bunch of boxes, probably pretty drunk from drinking beer all day and moving heavy shit. Sounds like fun, right? Jack Alter, what's up, Jack? He asked, can Triple G win a third fight with Canelo? He can, but the longer it takes to get that fight, bro, I just, I favor Canelo more and more and more. If I was a betting man, and I'm not, but if I had to bet, I'd say uh, Golovkin beats Dom, gets in rounds and beats Dom and wears him down and knocks him out late in their fight in June, and then comes back possibly... It's not even a guarantee anymore because it's taken so long for Golovkin to get his comeback fight. But I do think he fights Canelo this year. I still feel that will happen. And I favor Canelo to win that fight. And then I think Golovkin's going to move up to 168. That's what I see happening. Hawker Mustang, you get the last question of the night. Do you think Crawford is going to KO Khan? Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. That is it for TNC. 166, an hour and 17 minutes. Uh, appreciate all you guys watching live. Please, please like the video. Give us a thumbs up if you're watching. There's hundreds of you watching. 47 of you have liked it so far. So give it a like. That's not going to get it. Yeah, if you want a Canelo Jacobs live fight party, give it a damn thumbs up, people. All right? All right, guys. I'll see you at the fights.